0: everyone, and welcome to episode 227 of the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers here, as always, with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan.
1: Hey, Sarah. I think 227 was the name of a sitcom. Really? In the 80s with Jacquet. I'm pretty sure it was 227. Never yes. heard of it. Well, you didn't watch any TV in the 80s. I did not,
0: <laughs> but I've never <laughs> even heard a passing reference. Usually I know what I missed out on.
1: <laughs> I'll send you a link. It was pretty funny.
0: <laughs> um, well, episode 227 of the Mom Hour, we have a great topic for today. We're going to be talking about female friendships, and that's something we get a lot of requests from you guys on, and we've touched on it a few times, but usually in the context of mom friendships, So we're going to take a little bit of a different approach today and talk about um, women we admire and this idea of building kind of a network of professional and personal relationships with women we admire. What do you think about that?
1: I love it because I admire a lot of women and I just admire women in general.
0: Don't you think as we get a little bit older that this um, concept of kind of role model feels to me like it's almost coming full circle, like it's coming back as something I think about. It's something that I was more aware of maybe in my teens and early twenties. And now I just find myself looking around at the women I'm connected to and be like, Oh, I really like that thing about her. Or I want to emulate this. So maybe I just had the head, my head down in the little years.
1: I think that that's very common. And I would say for me in my forties now, it is maybe the first time in my life I've really been this intentional about looking around at role models. We'll get into that a little bit later, but i never really was the type to do that. And Mm now I'm intentionally doing it because I can see what, It's really important. And I think um, the older we get, the more we have to look around and go, who's doing something we think is really cool and how do they do it?
0: Yeah. And maybe we've removed some of the self-doubt about, could I do that thing? And we're just like, no, I want to go do that thing that that other cool lady is doing.
1: Or like, what (laughs) what do I bring to the table? Or will they laugh at me if I try to talk to them? Or are they so far above me? I can't even reach out. I think there's a lot of that often as well. So Yeah. Yeah. Let's demystify it.
0: Let's do. And also I have Katie with me toward the end of the show today. She popped in and sat right here at my kitchen table just a little bit ago. We talked about picture books. And if you're new around here, Katie Addis has been with us on the podcast on and off for a couple of years. And this year we have been talking about books every couple of months. Sometimes we talk about books for moms to read and sometimes for kids and sometimes a mix. And today. It's picture books that have kind of made like stood the test of time, at least in my house, since my kids are moving out of picture book stage. So it was a really great segment. It comes with a huge book list that you guys will be able to access on our website. So stick around for the whole episode because Katie and I will be toward the end of it. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor.
1: Go to FromOurPlace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's FromOurPlace.com, code momour. Okay, so speaking of 227, 227, <laughs> I just remembered that that show was about female friendships. No way! It totally was. So this <gasps> all seems very like, I don't know, it's like kismet. We planned it. Okay. But I really need we to We did know. it. We
0: totally didn't plan it. <laughs> what is this show? I've never even, 227, what does it even refer to?
1: It was the, uh, it was the address of, I want to say a brownstone building in a city. It was either like New York or Washington DC or Philadelphia, something like that. And it was, it was like, I think the first black woman sitcom, like oriented sitcom. Okay. And I remember there was this very sassy character named Jack Hay. She was really funny. She's been on a ton of stuff, but I can't think of her name. And she was like the nosy neighbor. And then there was like an older lady. I don't, I mean, I was a kid and it came on after some show I already watched. So right. I would always watch whatever I w- came on before, 227 and then 227. But my mom and I both really liked it. And um, I just had awesome. never forgotten the character of Jack. Hey, but I remember like, if I, it's like all these great 80s actors who I can't think of any of their names. Yeah. But if you showed me them in like in a lineup, I'd be like, right. And she yeah. was on this and that. So you should just like i bet you it's on youtube or something love or on hulu on the, maybe
0: on the streaming <laughs> yes on the streaming um well perfect that we yes. chose that so intentionally for our episode so unintentionally about female <laughs> so friendships random. and picture books yes um so i guess what i want to start with is we've never talked about female friendships in this way it's always been very focused on finding friends when you're a mom in the trenches and we can link up to past episodes on that but um these friendships that have nothing to do with our kids or the stage of life that our kids are in. And, um, is something that I think is really interesting. And Megan, from an observer point of view, I think you are really good at this. So I would love for you to talk about, um, why, why are you so good at this? What I observe (laughs) is that you, you live in a small town. Um, and what I observe is that you're really good at sort of collecting friends and friendlies and acquaintances of all different kind of stages of life. Um, and I really admire that about you. And I don't know if it's a small town thing or if it's a stage of life thing, cause your kids are getting older, but any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say it's probably more a stage of life. Well, let's put it this way. It's small town because everyone here is so connected. Um, there is like two degrees of separation from any group I might be in to some other group. So you find that group's like almost like skip, like skipping stones. Like Mm -hmm. I'm in one, I'm hanging out with one person and they have a mutual connection. Who's this other person who connects me to this and that. So it just, it makes it very easy. Like people are very accessible here and it's easy to spread. There's lots of opportunities and lots of stuff going on actually for the size of our town. But it's just also like, it's hard not to be known around here. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that you said friends and friendlies because that's something I've made a distinction uh, about through most of my adult life. And there was definitely a time I would have said I had hardly any friendlies, mm-hmm. which are not quite acquaintances. They're, they're more than acquaintances, but they're not in your like super inner circle. Mm-hmm. Like if you had a night out, you might think like if you had a night free, you might think to text one of them, but probably it wouldn't even occur to you until you saw them pop up on Facebook and you think, oh, I should have gotten in touch with so-and-so. Um, I would say 10 years ago, I was really kind of proud of the fact that almost everyone I hung out with was tight. Like, friend, like close friend or family. Mm-hmm. But now that I look around, I have to laugh at myself because I, I was just out with, um, with Missy over the weekend. And I think last time also that I was out with Missy and Jenna, they were just laughing because I can't go five feet without like running into somebody. Oh, I know. Like, I've been out yeah. in your
0: small town with you and <laughs> it is quite an experience. Well, also you were a local radio celebrity for a while. I was, you, I was. You act in theater.
1: Yes. So I think it's I think it's because my my activities have grown and that's just put me in touch with so many more people. And I don't set out to be a social butterfly, but it's it just it just happens.
0: I'm curious. So there's the kind of inevitability that you're talking about that just you're you're out there, you live in a small town and you're a part of the community. But in the in these overlapping friendly circles, are there times where like there's someone where you're like, I really would like to get to know that person better? Or like that. That lady and I just seem to have a connection because I do feel like I also run in, in overlapping circles and I've gotten to know a lot of people in my town. I don't feel like I'm as good as you are about like then going to grab a drink with that person or talking about something other than our kids. I feel like that's kind of just such a habit. So do you yeah. feel like you
1: do that intentionally? Um, I, I have become much more intentional about that lately. I started to realize, I think part of it also is being single and having more time on my hands. Um, When I was married and had my kids home every single night, like getting out was a special thing. And I would usually uh, gravitate toward the same people. Like who is the person I really want to spend time with or who's easiest to spend time with. Mm -hmm. And if all else fails, I can be home with my husband and kids. That was really how I was for many, many years. Not like if all else fails. (laughs) They're not like the consolation prize, but you know what I mean? Like if I don't have anything else going on, that's cool because I can just be at home. Well, now I've got, you know, several nights a week where I've got no one. Um, so I really started looking around and saying, well, I'm going to wear out my closest friends. I can't, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're busy. Like they've got a lot going on and, um, many of them, especially during the school year get really busy. So, um, and I can't hang out with my brother all the time. I tried that. And this is a
0: recurring theme. People started to think,
1: (laughs) I know people started to think we were married. (laughs) And that is not good for getting yourself out there as a single lady. I got to tell you when people think you're married to your brother. So I, <laughs> I, um, I would, it would be funny cause we'd be out and somebody would ask something like about your wife to my brother. And I'm like, do you look, can you see us? Like we Maybe. look identical. We look like, I mean, we obviously look like we are related, but so funny people make assumptions. Anyways. So, um, I have actually lately become much more intentional about it. I actually made a list. Like I I wrote down a list of people that I keep thinking every time I see them, that person's really cool. I should get in touch with them and then never do. Mm -hmm. And I've been just methodically like, if I have a couple minutes, I'll sit and text them and say, hey, I would love to get together. And now I've kind of, I've set up dates with a bunch of them to grab coffee or drink or lunch. And it's great. Everyone is so grateful that I did that Yeah, because most of us don't do it. You know, we don't take the time to do it. And then you run into them at some random event and you think, and would to see that person. And then you don't for six months, you know, so you yeah. just never get anywhere if you're if you're not intentional. Do you
0: notice a common thread um, with what types of people you're drawn to? Like, is there a type of person that that these are the qualities that they have that makes you want to take that next step?
1: So I knew you were going to ask me this, um, which made me think about it. And I, I guess I, I surprised myself when I really thought down the list of friends that I have, because I'm immediately attracted to dynamic, funny people. I think Mm -hmm. everybody immediately is, and they grab your attention. But most of the time I will gravitate toward quieter and more reserved people. And those tend to be the ones that I develop longer friendships with. Mm. Um, I think there's, I actually have quite a lot of social anxiety in certain situations. And I think the energy of being kind of very on, like I am a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. Then being around a bunch of other very on people is kind of exhausting and can be kind of intimidating sometimes. I mean, there's a time and a place and I've had some, you know, really fun times talking with really high energy people, but I think it's easier for me to feel drawn in by someone who's quieter and like, I can kind of bring myself down a little bit Mm. to match. And then we have had, like, if I'm just at a random party, the person I will end up speaking the longest to is the quiet person who sat down next to me and got in my laser beam or who made the first move and like had the braveness to like come forward and put themselves out there. I will end up, and you've seen me do this at conferences, (laughs) like get sucked into a conversation. I will talk to the same person for like an hour sometimes. And it usually has nothing to do with like what they do for a living or really anything except we just started talking. Yeah. And then we still are.
0: (laughs) I have seen you do that. I've seen you build really cool relationships that way, actually. Well, it's funny for me. I think when I think about what do I, what draws me to someone locally, especially locally, um, yeah, that makes me want to take that next step. Um, I think a lot of it is I am not connected to a lot of people locally who have a work life situation like I do. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of full-time working moms and there's a lot of stay at home moms. It's, I don't know if it's 50, 50, it feels like there's a good representation of both. And very few people who like me are working a lot. What do I call it? Like part-time, like crazy part-time. I forget. I had a name for it. Uh, Oh, you Um, do.
1: I can't remember it, but it's, it's a good one. Like turbo part-time or
0: whatever, (laughs) every possible minute that my children are not with me, I'm pretty much working. Um, and, and so I think when I find someone who has an interesting job, it doesn't have to be in like, a field that's that close to ours but some kind of a work life setup that's similar to mine I'm immediately like ooh I want to know more about them I want to know like how they manage their time like what they cuz I just feel like it's yeah. kind of unique around here I'm I'm not I haven't been as good about making regular connections with those people but I can think of 3 or 4 over the 5 years that we've lived here that are outside my they're not my neighbors they're not the moms at school um but they are local people that I've developed relationships that kind of stand alone. And most often it's because they have some kind of an interesting professional dynamic that I either can relate to, or I maybe even want to emulate, emulate, you know, maybe they're working mm. more than I am, but they've found a great like childcare or hybrid situation, or I don't know. So I find that, I mean, I guess it's not surprising. It's not that personality wise, they're so much like me, but it's that they have built their life in a way that is kind of similar to mine. And I think I find that interesting and also maybe approachable like well we could grab coffee because you know I can't have coffee all day because I have to work but also I could have coffee at one in the afternoon because I'm not in an office so well
1: that's that's really not surprising about you because not only I mean because you're an information gatherer yeah so that's that very much does not surprise me that you would look at someone and say oh she's she does this thing that I think is cool how does she do it I want to find out how she does it Mm, yeah 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 um, it's kind of funny. I don't think that I'm like that. Right. I don't think that I set out to gather that kind of information. I think I absorb it probably, um, uh, maybe more intuitively. And it's not super common around here for people to work in a creative field or from home, but like there are enough. And I've somehow managed to find a couple dozen of them of us that exist. Yeah. And that's another one of my social groups. But if you took all my, so if you took my theater friends and my business friends, and my mom, friends and whatever. And you just like threw us in a snow globe and shook us up. And like, we all wound up in the same place. I would probably talk to everybody about something completely different than those things. So I'm curious (laughs) if if that makes sense.
0: If the hypothetical situation you just described sounds fun to you or horrible.
1: Well, that's like what happens here? Like that could easily happen here. Well, but not your blogging,
0: yeah. like not your spread not out my internet blog, friends. Yeah, that's so true, no. if you brought all of your internet friends, like our conference Ooh, friends yeah. and stuff and brought them to St. Joe yeah. and just like one night, everyone would ended up at the same bar, which everyone else in St. Joe would, that part would take care of itself because Mayberry, yeah. does that make you feel anxious or Oh no, excited? I think that would be
1: so fun. I love, love getting my different groups of friends together. I think it's super fun. And I'm one of those people who like the first thing I'll say is like, Oh, do you know so-and-so like we should totally all hang out and like trying to (laughs) blend groups. And it doesn't always work. Sometimes groups just don't blend, but I do think it would be because the things that make me like you, Mm -hmm. I feel like would make the people I like, like you, you know? So like, it's fun to see those mix. I have a feeling you wouldn't like it as much. No, It
0: makes me, well, it makes me nervous. It makes me anxious to think about because I want to, I want it to go so well. (laughs) Like I really want everyone to like each other. And I feel like, it's, it's complicated for my brain to combine all those things, but yeah. at the same time I can really see how fun it would be. So if I just yeah. could let go, but yeah, it does. It kind of, and I know I'm not alone in that, but cause I think mixing friend groups or even bringing one friend into another group, I just want to be a good introducer. I want to be a good yeah. like matchmaker. And so I think I put pressure on myself to make sure everyone's having a good time. And like, everyone has someone to talk to. And like, have you met this person? Cause you have a lot in common. I just overthink it, but I, well, I, I get it. It's great.
1: That would be different. So I think maybe I'd feel differently if I was hosting a party, but in the situation you're describing, yeah, we're all just, it's there. just, we're all just randomly <laughs> at this place. And, and I have found that when, because I have my, my groups naturally overlap so much that you can really have a good time talking like people who really have nothing in common can find something they have in common. Um, yeah. the, the one that just popped into my head, wasn't too long ago. I ended up having like, I want to say two hours of conversations with like two people about eighties toy commercials. <laughs> and then we just looked them up on our phones. And like, we were all singing the, the slogans and the jingles from the eighties toy commercials. And then we would look up another one. It took us down this rabbit hole, but I don't remember what any of those people did for a living. I don't think I even knew them very well. It was just people I randomly happened to be talking so- to who who knew a person who knew a person, you know, one of those situations.
0: I actually really envy this type of conversationalist that you are. And my husband is the same. Brian is, is very similar to this. And it's one of the things that drew me to him. Um, but you are, that's the reason you are such a good, you are truly a great conversationalist. And it's because you don't like bother at all with the trappings of traditional, like getting to know you, you just open up a topic and kind of run your own talk show. And I, I love that about you. And I, I wish I were more that way. Another like weird side thing about me is I, I really do like, um, understanding how different professions work. And so I actually, mm-hmm. it does not bore me to talk about someone's job, the the more random someone's job, the more I want to know about it. Now I understand yeah. like that doesn't make good party conversation forever, but I really am interested in how industries work and how things work. So it will never bother me to find out that like someone owns a plumbing contracting company and I will have a million questions about yeah. how that industry works. I just but like, that's so
1: positive too. And it, it makes you not see what that makes for you is that you don't ever seem to be Uh, monopolizing, not monopolizing is not the right word, but like running roughshod over people (laughs) and the things that are important to them. And I am aware that sometimes when someone asks me a question, I will answer the question. Then I'll forget to ask them the same question because I've already mentally moved on. Like, okay, we covered work. Now let's move on. Forgetting that. No, they didn't get to talk about their work yet. Then I have to like Figure out a way to go back and ask them the question I didn't get around to the first time. So, but by their time, definitely they're definitely done looking up
0: 80s commercials. That's like, they're, true. maybe they they're don't having care. such a good time. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care. Um, okay. Well, I want to go back a little bit to this idea of like versus like or yeah. being drawn to similar similarities versus opposites. You kind of touched on it, and I'll speak. For myself, um, I definitely find that I pair up well with more opposite types, and that's not surprising. Um, You are one of them. But socially and in friendships, I really enjoy being around very outgoing, very life-of-the-party people. Um, And I pair well with those people to go out or to socialize with a group, and that kind of always have. I'm thinking about the people I've paired up with, and a lot of them are super creative, very funny not afraid of the spotlight. Um, and so I think that is a, a consistent theme with me, but I also on the other side of like more professional relationships, I've also really enjoyed kind of finding kindred souls. Like I was thinking of our friend, Christine Coe, who co-hosts at your life and has Boston mamas. And, you know, over the various years of conferences, Christine and I have this like wink, wink, we're kind of cut from the same cloth thing going on. And it's, um, There's something really comforting about that to connect with somebody who thinks like you do. And I was I was laughing. I was thinking about the Enneagram, the personality test that everybody's Mm -hmm. so into, because it's almost like shorthand for like, you know, you're meeting somebody, you're getting to know them. And when you feel like this vibe, like we might be kind of operating from the same place, the Enneagram can be like this, like, oh, you, we get each other. Like we're both yeah. ones. So that, so I guess I like both. I like the opposite dynamic that I have with you and my best friend from high school, Sarah. And like, I'm very drawn to these, like, r- you know, life of the party types and that's not me, but then I also enjoy having the kindred spirit relationship. So I kind of want both.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I when I kind of made a list of my closest female friends and There's always overlapping traits that are similar, but there's lots of differences. I think I tend to be the most outgoing in many of my groups. Not all in the theater group. I am not the most outgoing, Uh, but (laughs) I don't really have many close friends in my theater group. Interesting to point out. Like I have friendlies and I have people I like to hang out with, but those are not the people that like are my ride or die friends. Mm -hmm. So that's just a little bit different, right? So it's like the way we enjoy each other in that drama. like we're going to go out and do karaoke life right. that's like a very different energy than the people like you or like jenna or like missy who i spend a lot of time with and who i spend quieter time with which mm-hmm. i think is really needed um speaking of so Emma, enneagram you're a one i'm a two uh my sister's a two she's probably the person i spend the most time with who's most like me mm-hmm. jenna's a one i think missy's a one i can't remember if she's taken it anytime recently and i can't remember Um, but I'm also drawn to nines. I've had several friends, um, several male friends and romantic interests, I guess, who are nines. And I think the reason for that is that they can be like, they're kind of peacemakers, but also Mm -hmm. they tend to be kind of affable Mm -hmm. and like easy to talk to. And there's something about that that kind of rides, like, it's kind of like the two in one Mm -hmm. mashup or something. So, um, yeah, no, I think there's a lot to that. I, I, I have spent a lot of time around people like me. And I think we tend to exhaust ourselves.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe it's for like a night out at karaoke, but yeah. you need your. Like,
1: you know, once you, every couple of weeks or yeah. once every month or something. You need yeah. your
0: yin and yang. Yeah, exactly.
1: Oh, and speaking of Christine from Edit Your Life, yeah. um, I got to do, go to it. Well, I've known Asha, her co-host forever, Asha Dornfest, and she's an amazing woman. And we went to a conference together once and we were laughing the entire time about how we needed our Sarah and we needed our Christine because we're so alike. <laughs> We're just like, let's go for a walk. And the next thing we know, we're like in the middle of Portland. We don't even know. Well, she lives there, so she kind of knew where we were. But um, we were very relaxed about coming and going and like when we got places and when we left. And I don't remember if we even really did the conference like the way you're supposed to. <laughs> but you had lot. It was, a, lo- it was a lot conversation. of conversation. We had great conversations. We just kind of floated around. Um, Ash is a way better human being than me or anybody, really. She's yes. just an amazingly kind person. Um but personality-wise, it was it was a lot of fun. I don't know that we'll ever get around to doing it again because we probably it wouldn't occur to either one of us to actually make the plan. But well, it was a lot
0: of fun. I think like that's actually a great point because when we're thinking of adult friendships that exist outside our kids, there's a lot of opportunity for things like travel or a work yeah. conference or um, gosh, you could like train for a race with somebody. There's all of these opportunities to match up with somebody in a way that doesn't include carpool and your kids and, you know, all of that. But that's where those personality in some matchups, it might be helpful to have somebody who's really similar to you. And in other matchups, it might be helpful to have somebody who balances you. And so I guess that's a vote for just diversifying and having all these different types of people in our life.
1: I love it. Yeah.
0: I kind of wanted to finish on this idea of like, I don't really like the term girl crush. What did you call it? Fangirling. Um, Fangirling, yeah. Like the feeling I described when we were prepping for this. I described remembering in high school just idolizing girls who were older than me, 2 or 3 4 years older, and even through my early 20s, would just I would notice how they wore their hair, how they talked. I just it was not a romantic crush. It was this um noticing down to the detail of this thing that I was not quite yet ready to be and then that kind of went away when i was a mom of young kids i just i had my friends and of course i admired things about them or i liked somebody's clothes or their house or something but it didn't feel the same um and i do find myself now kind of looking i i really admire a lot of women who are older than i am you know 5 or 10 years older and kind of thinking okay like what is that what's that next phase going to look like um mm. but i'm curious if you are the same if you also have had these like you know, real fangirly experiences where you're truly looking up to somebody.
1: No, <laughs> just so in a word, just me. No. And no, it's not just you because it's a very common thing. And I think I actually think that not doing that as a young girl put me at a detriment, like as a preteen young teenager, I think there were things I didn't learn early about kind of how to navigate social circles and stuff that I could have if I'd like, really looked to older girls as a mentor. Um, it's like such a safe way to kind of try on a different way of being. Like mm-hmm. you don't actually have to become that. You could just almost imagine what it would be like to become that person or to mm-hmm. try that thing or to dress that way. And I, and I think there's like a lot of positivity to that. Can, they can have a negative side too, but like, it just didn't occur to me. There's just the way that some people get really into like a band mm-hmm. in, in like their teenage years or preteen years. And to the point where they have the, the poster's everywhere, and they want to dress like that, and that's their look. I never, ever had that. Uh, I still really don't. I mean, I would be like, oh, I really like this person's music, but that's very different yeah. from, fan, from fangirling, yeah. the way that we're talking about. I just think it's a different personality type. I think there's probably, I'm going to guess, a little Myers-Briggs in there, maybe something mm-hmm. about sensing your environment or something. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like where that, It's truly that sensory attention to detail thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would probably have been more likely to notice the way someone made me feel. And that's a lot more difficult to nail down. Mm -hmm. You can't tie it to their cool shoes. No, you can't. (laughs) Which is why I was kind of clueless about a lot of that stuff. Like until, I mean, I now know how to dress myself, but like (laughs) more or less. Right. But I was clueless about stuff like fashion. I just didn't get it when I was young. And I think it's because that's not what spoke to me. Uh I didn't understand why some, like why something was in fashion or why I liked it or didn't like it, um, on a more sensory, like material level. So right. yeah, no, I didn't. And I think it's really weird that I didn't, I think about it a lot actually, cause people will talk about their young teen experience. Um, or now, like now that we're in, we're in this kind of public sphere mm-hmm. and I will talk to people who will talk about how they have this, like kind of the jealousy version Mm -hmm. of a lady crush thing like they're jealous of that person and they want to kind of be that person Mm -hmm. I also don't have that there's careers I've followed because I've been like that person did something really cool I want to know how they did that cool thing and I'll watch them for a little while but yeah it's almost like they're the rabbit at the dog race more than like like a a model I'm trying to figure out Uh rather than someone I want to be
0: I think that's a really, really actually great distinction. And probably at this stage in our life, it's a more mature distinction because hopefully we want to be ourselves at this right. stage of our life. I <laughs> right? mean, when yeah. I was 14, I for sure wanted to be Catherine Olam. I mean, and wear my little ribbon in my hair, just like she did. But when I'm 40, I want to be me. And just like you said, kind of observe and, and emulate or, or just adopt certain things. Yeah. So I'm curious, like what that looks like for us now. And I can go first. I mean, yeah, I guess I think of conferences cause we go to three or four every year and we're surrounded by a few hundred women in um careers fairly similar to ours. I notice like I'm very drawn to like super smart, which many of them are, like very smart, kind of well balanced. Like I love a balance of like sharp humor and snark with a softer side. That's always something mm-hmm. I've liked in my writing. And I can be turned off by over like extreme in either direction. Yes. So like the type of content creators that are super, super snarky and funny and hilarious, but I I feel like almost like there's something I I can't access like who they totally are as a person. And by the same token, there's some people who are all the feels all the time that I'm like, I'm not sure that that's, I mean, I'm sure they're, they're lovely people, but it's not a style that I feel like I'm going to emulate or whatever. So I do feel like there's, there's people where I'm like, I really just like, I like her vibe. I like how she runs her business. I like Mm -hmm. how she looks. I like how I feel when I'm hanging out with her, and i don't know I don't think it is a it's no it's not a fangirling thing anymore, but it is a like huh, you know what can i what can I take from that, or how can I build this relationship because these these are all people that we can we have access to there's there's yes. LinkedIn and social media, and we can actually start to build relationships with the people that we admire. It's not just from afar
1: yeah, so it's funny that, as you've said, you've moved more like almost away in your life from that. That, and that emulation isn't quite the right word, but you know, like that, that looking at someone saying, I want to do what that person does, mm-hmm. or I want to be who that person is. I'm the kind of person where to, like, historically, if you'd said, who do you really admire or who would you consider a mentor? I cannot come up with one person. And it's because I have so many and they speak to me for lots of different reasons. And I admire people for lots of different reasons. And I see positive traits in lots of different people. But I've, what I've tried to do in my forties, and I think women tend to be really bad at this because I think we tend to be really (laughs) hesitant about this is just become be feel better about being transactional about the way I establish relationships. Like sometimes I might meet someone I think is cool. And there's something really specific I want to gain from our relationship, like real specific. Like I want to learn, um, how she built this aspect of her business, or Mm -hmm. I'm hoping some of this part of her rubs off on me or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Right. I think As women, we tend to like be conditioned to think it all has to be warm fuzzies Mm -hmm. and you have to be real, like real friends before you can ask for a favor. And you have to Google each other, you know, over Mm -hmm. each other's babies and spend half an hour talking about the family before you can get down to brass tacks. And I just think like the older I get, the more I'm realizing we're all busy. We all have lots going on and we all have like lots that we bring to the table in different aspects of our lives. And it's okay if you know you're just going to grab coffee with someone and talk business for an hour Mm -hmm. twice a year, and then you're not going to like send them Christmas cards. That's okay. Like you're not going to invite them to your kids wedding
0: all the time.
1: (laughs) Dudes do that all the time. So I'm part of a, an entrepreneur group I've talked about on here before. And I call it my dudepreneur group because it's mostly men. In fact, it's been all, almost all men until recently. Like I was the only female, but I just watched the way these men network. It's, it's business, it's transactions. It's I don't know. It's not, it's not personal either in a good or bad way. Like they all like each other. Mm -hmm. It's friendly, but they don't feel like they have to prove themselves as friends before they can just kind of skip over that and get to why they were really all there. So when I was talking earlier about trying, like literally making this list and moving down the list, like I know that some of those, that is going to be the last time I see this person for the next six months. Like we will have our coffee or whatever. It'll be a nice way to spend an hour. And then we're and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Or there might be someone who I'm like, this was great. Let's get together again in a month and really do it, really get on the calendar. And then some of them might turn into close friends. I don't know, but I don't feel like I have to go in with the assumption that they're all going to be best friends yeah. because nobody has the time right. for that. Right. So it just takes the pressure off, I guess. And I think that women, especially when we're talking about careers and learning and, and personal growth, um, I think that's something women could stand to be just more open to.
0: I I agree, and think of the pressure it takes off. Like you said, for this, like this relationship is going to be my twice a year spiritual pep talk, or my twice right. a year, you know, like tears rolling down my face, laughing or something, right. and that's all that it needs to be. Now, I we do have to wrap up, but I also want to say, if you are in a phase of life where you don't even have the bandwidth for even those twice a year coffees, right. like we have, we have been there. I think we're yeah. both speaking from this, like place of coming out of the trenches and saying, oh, like what, what other kind of friendships do I want in my life? I, yeah. you know, I have my ride or die mom friends and all of our babies are the same age, but now I have room for more. But if you don't yet that it will come.
1: And I, I would also say that the, the ratio for now for me having these in real life connections compared to 10 or 12 years ago, back then it was all online. Mm-hmm. And I still have a really robust kind of professional and outside of the mom, like there were the mom friends, but there was other things going on. And it was just, it just happened in a different way. It happened mm-hmm. on online. And I think that there's a lot of value there too. Yeah. If you are in the trenches and the only time you can talk to somebody is like 2am Yeah, and you know, even the bars are closed by then <laughs> <laughs> you can still send an email or yeah. request someone Vox. Vox or send, send a Facebook message to somebody. Yes. Agreed. Agreed.
0: Um, well, this is really great. I feel like you have an interview coming up in early October that would be kind of a nice companion to this. Do you I talk about do.
1: That? I'll be speaking with the um, head of the community at the mom project, which is it's kind of like a like a headhunting and job placement service specifically for moms. So I'm really excited about that because I know that we've gotten questions um, and you and I both have the benefit of having been self-employed to work from home, working mm-hmm. from home for so long that like, I kind of have lost touch with what it's like to, for example, what is the climate? Like if you go to a job interview and you're six months pregnant, like what's that like now in 2019 versus how it might've been. And what are the strategies for making a shift, um, in your career when your kids are really young or planning around your maternity leave and all that stuff. So we're going to ask her lots of, um, lots of great questions about what's, what it's like to be in the workplace now where the opportunities for moms and how to kind of kill it in the job market as a working mom.
0: I love that. I love that. And I would hope that the mentorship and female friendship opportunities with, with organizations like that, doing what they're doing, um, are increasing. Cause I know that's a real struggle in a traditional workplace is you may be the only mom or the only person in your situation, you know, for miles around. So, yeah, Hey, everybody. I am back here with Katie Addis. She's sitting across from me at my kitchen table. Hey, Katie. Hi, Sarah. So we have a lot of new listeners. And if you guys aren't familiar, Katie has been coming on the show for a couple of years now in different capacities. She is our resident books talk uh, buddy of mine. So we talk about books every couple of months now, but um, when she first came on, she was kind of our resident new mom. So Katie, just tell everybody how old your kids are now. They're getting older.
2: Sure. Yeah. So I have a daughter, Anna Lee, who's four and a half. She's currently in pre-kindergarten. And then I have a brand new three-year-old. He's such a big boy now. So he was literally a newborn when we met. He was a newborn. I was strolling him and pacing back and forth as I deciphered. I'm like, is that Sarah Powers' voice that I'm hearing on the playground?
0: Yes. So 10 feet away. So for you guys who don't know the origin story, Katie like recognized my podcast voice at a local park and she lives down the street and um, we became friends and she started helping out on the podcast. So that is crazy.
2: Yes. So yeah, I'm a mom of two preschoolers. So I have new pockets of time in my day and it is glorious. Not enough time, but you know, we fill the time that we get. Yes.
0: For those of you with closely spaced kiddos, uh, Katie is president of your club. She was two under two when I met her, right? Mm-hmm. You were, yeah. Yes. Less than two years apart. And here you are now they're yep. both in preschool. Yeah. So that's awesome. And if you're not familiar with this segment, um, we talk about books and then we link them up, um, in the show notes, but in the show notes, we're going to send you over actually to a blog post on our blog at the themomhour.com. And we will Um, link to everything we talk about today, plus always a few things that we don't get to because there's never quite enough time
2: to talk about books. Um, And today we are talking about, Do you want to set it up? Sure. We're talking about picture books. And I know that is a very broad category. And honestly, picture books makes me want to have preschoolers forever. But I know, Sarah, you're a big fan of keeping picture books alive in a household well into the elementary school years. Um, So together... I would say we're giving a good variety of picture books, a little bit of nonfiction, a little bit of fiction, but all of them withstand the test of time.
0: Yeah, I would agree. These are the ones I picked are things that I they've not made it into one of my black plastic garbage bags of goodwill. I will probably keep them. In fact, one of the at least one, if not more of the ones I'm going to talk about, probably came from my own growing up. Um, so these are i'm gonna be talking for sure about books that kind of withstand the the passage of time and don't get chucked away and Katie, you made a really good point. These aren't necessarily our kids' absolute favorite books, right?
2: No, no, they aren't <laughs> with the exception of one series, but yeah, they're not necessarily our kid's favorite, but um you count two, and what yeah. your what what are your favorite books are the ones that you wanna yeah or are motivated to read so. Anyway, we count two moms, right? Yes,
0: we do. And yeah, Megan and I talk all the time when you're talking about enjoying books with your kids and enjoying reading aloud, you do not have to be reading aloud from that same old, you know, Thomas the Train book. I mean, you, that's
2: okay too, but like you get to make sure Balance that- it out. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So we picked these books because we love them, not necessarily our kids'
2: favorite. Yes. And as always, we start with what Sarah and I have been reading. Yes. So, Sarah, you want to start with that? Yeah. So I had
0: a pretty good summer of reading. I have been reading more fiction. Everybody knows that was kind of my goal this year. Um, I uncharacteristically checked out an ebook through my library on my little iPad mini. I don't usually read electronically. Um, I, I like a paper book in my hand from the library or from the bookstore. Um, But I was between books and I just went into the Libby app to see what was um, available. And it was The Paris Wife, which was a bestseller, I don't know, a few years ago. I remember when the name was everywhere. And I'm not in a book club and I don't read a lot of popular fiction. So it was familiar to me, but I didn't really like I didn't know what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not finished with it yet because I keep going back to it when I'm kind of in a fiction mood. But it's really, really good. It it um, imagines the story of Ernest Hemingway's wife. So it is historically based oh. with all of the famous writers who were hanging out in London and Paris in post-World War One. So 1920s, late teens, 20s. Gertrude Stein, Ezra Pound, like it's all real historical characters. It is a fiction book and it's told from the perspective of Hemingway's wife. And okay. it is called The Paris Wife. And, you know, those of many of you out there are probably like, yeah, duh. We read that for book club three years ago. But that's my I'm always like late to the party. And I really, really, I really like it. It's like it, it's everything I like. Big cities, like period, historical, historical literature. It's all. With checks yeah. my
2: boxes. Have you seen that movie? The basically exactly what you're describing oh. but in movie form I think it's Midnight in Paris No with Owen Wilson No Owen Wilson gets transported to the 20s okay. I believe Okay Oh I re- I do remember when that came out yeah Yeah and I can't remember who plays his wife but it's basically the Paris wife okay. plot essentially okay. you meet all those big yes. names in the literary world yeah. and they're all friends yep. and So yeah as a nice compliment yeah. go yeah. watch that movie I can all Okay right, what are you so reading? I have been reading, um, let's see. Okay. So last on deck for me was The Mm Mother-in-Law by Sally Hepworth. And I knew nothing about it other than it just sounded like a compelling, who doesn't want to read about The (laughs) Mother-in-Law. Yeah. So anyway, this was my favorite out of the three books that I'll just quickly share. So The Mother-in-Law, just really quickly, what I loved about it was often it's a fraught relationship between daughter-in-law and mother-in-laws. And what I loved about it was it went into kind of the rich dynamic of how that relationship forms Mm. and can be problematic specifically based on what you choose deliberately to not say. So those hold your tongue moments, um, which she she delves into on both sides, like what the mother-in-law holds her tongue on and what the daughter-in-law does not say. And then those moments that you accidentally don't say something that you wished you would have in you know the aftermath of a situation, you hear the characters talking about, oh, I meant to say this, or I wish I would have said that. Um, and it, there's just a, a big emphasis on, on mm-hmm. that, the things that remain unspoken and those things that you do choose to say, which kind of shape the relationship. Anyway, it's just a really, really rich study of that dynamic and the evolution of this particular mother in law, daughter in law pair. And it's all in the landscape of a mystery and a death. And it's really, really good. That's Alternating good. narrators, it's suspenseful. I could not put it down. Oh, that was great. Really good. The other sort of suspenseful thriller that I read it was called The O Pair by Emma Rouse okay. and this was actually a book club pick. I wasn't able to attend the book club meeting, but because it was a book club assignment, I'm I'm a good homework doer. Mm-hmm. So I did my homework. And um it's kind of an outlandish tale. Um there's a mystery surrounding the true origin and identity of this pair of twins and then parentage questions of another child and the au pair and a mother get wrapped into this whole mystery. There's also a death a little too outlandish for me in the end and things weren't wrapped up as neatly as I wanted. There was still some mystery left by the end that I didn't like. Um, And then lastly, I read this book called The Smartest Kids in the World. Oh, I read that book. Oh, okay, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's written by a journalist Mm -hmm. and it basically compares the U.S. education Mm -hmm. system to Finland, South Korea and Poland. Mm -hmm. And it has some thought provoking, maybe food for thought. Is that one by Fareed Zakaria? No,
0: it's not by Fareed Zakaria. Fareed Zakaria also has a different book. I have read The Smartest Kids in the World. Is it Madeline Levine? You know it's what? okay. I actually we'll link don't to have, it. Yeah, we'll I'm putting you it. on the spot. I have read it, but I read like three books that were kind of similar around the, the same, same time. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So just good, good food for thought, especially as I'm getting ready to launch a pre kindergartner into the start of her entire educational journey. And so I feel like I'm still shaping my, you know, my overarching yeah. beliefs mm-hmm. about what I want my daughter's ideal education mm-hmm. to look like. But really, I mean, spoiler alert: it boils down to the household mm-hmm. in which you bring up your children, mm-hmm. and you have the power, yeah, to kind of shape it yourself, yeah, yeah. to an extent, um, within the constraints, of course, yeah. of the U.S. education. But it's system. so interesting.
0: I think I think that cross-cultural stuff is so interesting. Anything education, parenting, like me too. So even if you don't come away like changing your mind, it's just super interesting to find out how other countries have built their education systems and how they're similar and different. And yeah. I agree. Turns out the way we do things is not the only way to do things. Exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> well, um, that's a perfect segue, actually, into my very first picture book pick, which is a nonfiction title, and it's very globally um, globally geared. So it is called This Is How We Do It, and the author is Matt Lamoth, Okay. And the subtitle is One Day in the Lives of Seven Kids from Around the World. I love this. And it
0: is illustrated. It's not photographs. It's but really cool illustrations. Really
2: cool illustrations. And what's so awesome about it is really it invites your kids to look at ordinary parts of their own lives Mm -hmm. and then see them those same ordinary parts of other kids lives. Either mirrored back at them mm-hmm. or foiled against our own kids' lives, and it kind of segments the day. Um, you know, this is what I eat for breakfast. This is how I go to school. This is how I spell my name. Really cool illustration. Really cool. Yeah, the seven places around the world that it, um, that kids represent, or mm-hmm. one one kid from each of these countries, mm-hmm. are Russia, Japan. Uganda, Peru, Iran, India, and Italy. Really cool. I mean, it's a cheap trip around the world (laughs) and just really is an awesome book.
0: I could see this in a classroom too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I want it for our school library.
2: The one friend who recommended it to me said that her daughter loved the opening page, which pictures all of these various children Mm -hmm. from the places I just mentioned. And then um, there's a big slot that is blank that says, this is me. And mm-hmm. she actually put a picture of her daughter in that That's one really slot cool. compared to all the other kids around the world. It's very cool.
0: I love that. There is a National Geographic. I'm pretty sure it's National Geographic or maybe it's DK. One of those more encyclopedic um, type nonfiction oh, okay. books. And it's called A Life Like Mine. And it, it is actually kind of similar, only it's photographs. Oh, okay. um, and it does more countries. So it's, instead of honing in on seven and getting to know them, it's actually probably, I don't know, 30 or 40 countries. But it does the same thing. It shows and it's photographs of, I'm pretty sure it's called A Life Like Mine. And I will link that one up, too, because it okay. be. it's different but similar. Yeah, um, you know
2: what? I mislabeled. I shouldn't have said it was nonfiction. It's it's realistic fiction. I, I
0: mean, but say. I know what you mean. I, yeah. I, 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 that didn't... Um, that didn't catch my attention. I'm <laughs> that's I'm gonna, a mistake. No, not at all. Mistake. I would say that's nonfiction. You're learning you're learning facts about the world. Right. So I'm gonna put that in nonfiction. It's yeah. not a storybook. No. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna start with kind of a, a category that I guess would be called like a compilation or a collection. So I was thinking about picture books that have um, made the like stayed the distance um, and there's a couple so the first one um, in this category of collections is James Harriet's Treasury for Children. Do you know James Harriet? I don't. He wrote All Creatures Great and Small. He was a real life veterinarian in England in the mid century, 40s, 50s, 60s. Okay. And he he wrote about small town England farming and he was a veterinarian. So he has beautiful stories about animals. And I think all creatures great and small is a book for adults. It's like his memoir about being a small country vet in England. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty big bestseller. Like when we were kids. Okay. This is his treasury for children and they're real, they're real stories from his time as a vet um, that feature animals. And um, the illustrations are great, but the, I'm holding the book up. It's a, it's a big book. Cause it includes, I think eight different stories, all illustrated in the same one. Um, and we just get it out again and again and again. Um, there's actually two different illustrators and I like one better, but if you have a kid who loves animals, like I'm showing Katie pictures, like I'm in a librarian, there's a little kitten that gets adopted by the mama pig. And, um, they're, they're great. And I love England too. So it just has this very like vintage European, you know, farmhouses, but the kids love the animal stories and they're all kind of Real, realistic animal adventure stories, you know, a sheep who escapes the pasture and wanders into town. And it's all stuff that like kind of really happened to this little bit. So that's James Harriet's treasury for children. Um, And then the other collection is a Dr. Seuss collection. And I always feel like I want to like be a Dr. Seuss defender because I feel like people think cat in the hat and fox in socks and green eggs and ham. And then they either hate those or they or they love them and then they move on. And I just think that there's some Dr. Seuss stories that are more, that tell longer stories and that are really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still get the rhyming and the wordplay and the silliness. Um, but this
2: one is Yertle the Turtle and Other Stories. Do you have this one? Okay. That's so funny because I was at lunch with my grandma. I see her every couple yeah. months. We always meet for lunch and she just gifted me. She was an elementary school teacher. Okay. And she said this was her favorite book to read to her second graders. Yes. And so she gifted me that book that was in her classroom. Okay. So I had never read the story though. Okay. So so
0: there's a few different Dr. Seuss compilations where there's three, four, five stories. Um, There's another one called, um, I can't remember. Okay. (laughs) Very professionally. (laughs) of me. I'll link it up. Um, But this is the one I grew up with and there's only three stories in there. It's your yertle, the turtle. It's the big brag, which is the one where they're bragging about how far they can see and smell. See, okay. these are Dr. Seuss stories that you're like you're I can tell from your face you're not familiar with. This no. is good stuff. You're to the turtle, the big brag, and the one about Lola Lilu who wants the fe- the tail feathers. Okay. And these are lo- they're longer than I guess longer's the wrong word. Hop on Pop and Cat in the Hat can feel repetitive, right? right. These tell a longer, a more narrative story. Okay. Um so I would say any Dr. Seuss compilation that has multiple stories, just pick up at a garage sale or at a, and if you've written off Dr. Seuss for the like hop on pop, learn to read and sound out words, just remember that there's
2: more. Yeah. Like he should be known for more than those. Yeah. And the collections are fun. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, my next series is another nonfiction one, and this is one of my son's absolute favorites. In fact, we just over breakfast read one about Coast Guard boats. Nice. Yeah. He's super into rescue vehicles. So this is, uh, the whole series is called bookworms, but the way that I would recommend listeners find this whole collection is actually through the library. Unfortunately, it's not available through Amazon okay. or really online I at it? all because okay. It's a textbook publisher. Ah, uh, yes. I know.
0: I know when there's those like weird publishers that are like, yeah, right. Indie, not weird.
2: Yeah. Right. So the only way really you can access them is probably through a school library or through your local public library. So when you're online, if you've, if you've ever gone online and searched your library database, just search this author. That's the pretty much the easiest way to find this whole collection. And you will unlock just a vault of goodness in terms of nonfiction Topics about everything ranging from butterflies, rescue vehicles, as I mentioned, (laughs) I'm holding a police car one, nice to more sophisticated and complex topics like reflectiveness of light, uh, or and they're all the same author, B.J. Best, all the same author. Yeah, did I not mention him, B.J. Best? Exactly, that's who you you want to search on your library database. And what is so wonderful about this series of picture books is it's so. Perfect for a preschooler or little hands mm-hmm. starting from toddler, but will take you, I would say, into early elementary mm-hmm. school because it's a great starting point for a nonfiction subject. Mm-hmm. So the book size is so perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a little square. Like eight book. by eight looks like it. Oh, okay, eight by eight ish, and not overly dense text on each page. Yeah, so nonfiction, uh, real life. That's a, um, like
0: that would be a really good reading level too for like first first grade um for a kid starting to read on their yes. own. The, yes. Because the 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 sentences are short. Um mm-hmm. so like Violet would be starting to read that book. So I, I love books where they serve a read aloud purpose earlier on and then later they they circle back as an independent, like, right. like a practicing your own independent right. reading.
2: Right. And I love that it kind of actually uh kind of greases those gears for later when they're reading textbooks in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in the back they have a little vocab review. So it'll have some academic language or some vocab words that the child may not have heard before or learned yeah. before. And so it has a little new word yeah, list in the back. So nice. um, yeah, I mean this book series is so great. I That's love awesome. it. Yeah. So library and, and it's not going to hurt your pocket at all because it's going to
0: support your libraries. Um, okay. So my next kind of category, and I have two books in this category is, uh, those books that you don't read like a story, but you point to things that are happening on all the pages. I feel like there should be a more articulate way to say that when I showed these to Katie, she said, Oh, like Richard's scary. And I said, yes, exactly. Like those big Richard's scary books. Those are the ones we grew up with, but I have two different ones to recommend. Okay. Um, one, I'm going to do this one first. It's called in the town all year round. I I guess you're, um, if you're familiar with like a search and find or a where's Waldo, I would Mm -hmm. even put those into this same category things to look at and point to where you don't have to read a story, but these I I would say are more, um, creative than just a search and find or a where's Waldo.
2: Those are fun too. Like it demystifies the world around you. Yeah, and there's so way. much
0: detail and they're usually big. So it's yes. like you open it up and you just spend 10 minutes on this page. So this in the town all year round. Um, this is an amazing book, Katie. You're gonna want this book. It's yeah. one town in four seasons. And so in each of the four seasons, you go to the bookshop, the downtown, um, the farmhouse, and like you go to the same um, like this is a town square in the winter and you go through. But what's cool, I'm trying to find the beginning of a season page. Okay. So at the beginning of winter, it will give you things to look for um throughout all the winter pages. So it will tell you that um the mag the magpie has found something exciting in a tree and your kid can look for the magpie in each picture and on the next page ends on the next page and it sort of follows that storyline throughout the winter and then it turns to spring. So it's really like one day in each season in this town but with illustrations that have so much going on. Like you know, tons and tons and tons of things going on. Oh, it's really I cool. I
2: love that. Okay. Wait. So I see that a unique feature is that there is, I mean, I know you just explained that the text actually, or the words and descriptions happen at the very first. Yeah. So it like sets as, up each season and then you're, right. you
0: just look, you just look at, at the pages and and right. literally if you have a two-year-old, all they're going to be doing is just looking at the pictures, yeah. but, but as kids as old as eight or nine or 10, can have fun um, doing the more search and find elements. So on mm-hmm. each page, like there's one storyline where it often involves the cat or the dog, where they're like the dog or see this balloon floating yeah. up. Like this balloon will continue to float through the scenes. Yeah. And there's somebody down below trying to catch it. And you can follow that storyline throughout the eight pages of that season or whatever and yeah. see what happens. And then you can kind of go back and follow somebody else's storyline, all in pictures, all visually.
2: I think this genre is kids' coffee table. Yes, books. it
0: is a kids, kids' coffee table. It is totally a kids'. So this is called In the Town All Year Round by Robert. Nope. By Ro Trout Suzanne Berner. It is a European book. Wow, oh, I butchered okay. that name. So um, we got this at Powell's Books in Portland, which I know you oh, have been to. Oh, I have a Powell share Okay, as my last one. Oh, nice. Um, and I know we're we're kind of short on time. So the other one is a similar and it's called Oh, What a Busy Day. And it's this. Have we talked about this author before? No. Gayo Fujikawa, beautiful illustrations of babies and oh. children. This one is more of like, I don't know, walk your child through the pages, point to things. There's little po- Sometimes there's little poems. Sometimes there's just a few oh. words. But it's another one where you're not reading a story. You're just turning the pages and, yeah. and reading little snippets and pointing to things. This one reminds me that. of the Child's Garden of Verses book that I had, the illustrated one that I had as a kid. Was okay.
2: of reminiscent and that was of the that. Powell's one?
0: No, the, uh, actually they might both be Powell's. Oh, okay. They're from that era when I used to go to Portland in the summers. So oh, they might okay. both be from there.
2: Okay. Well, my next pick is actually a series and you're, you're all familiar with the series, the little golden book mm-hmm. series, but I have narrowed it down to ones that are illustrated by Tibor Gurgley. Okay.
0: I was not familiar with this name.
2: Yes. So One thing that I actually picked up from one of my good friends from college, he reads to his son um, and points out both the author and the illustrator. And I mean, it seems so basic and like, duh, Mm -hmm. of course, read the author and illustrator. But it was something that I actually wasn't in the habit of doing. And I love that. It points out to the kids that yes, every person's contribution in this book really matters, especially the illustrator. Right,
0: with kids' books, like uh, that's what especially they're like. Who cares about the
2: words? (laughs) Right. So this author or this illustrator Tibor Gergely is just so awesome. I mean, he does kind of that retro watercolor painted, but detailed.
0: Yeah, those are great illustrations.
2: Yeah. So I'm holding the fire engine book. He does the happy man and his dump truck. Mm -hmm. Again, you see the car and truck theme in our household because (laughs) I do have a three-year-old boy and he's obsessed, but my daughter also loves them. And, and, um, this one is great because of the, uh, easy sound words that are on the page. I love how the illustrations fill
0: the entire page. You know how sometimes it's just like an inset illustration. Like those are from edge to edge.
2: Yeah. So anyway, Tibor Gergely, keep an eye out for him.
0: Um, My little tip about little golden books like the one you're holding is they are so great for travel because they tend to be they're so light and flat. And so you can slip them in a suitcase or like the front pocket of a suitcase. Yeah. So if you're doing bedtime stories and stuff um, on the road, yeah, they're great because they're um, there's a lot in there for a very small package. Usually it's just yeah, economic. (laughs) Good tip. Yeah. Um, okay, so my last thing is just one of my favorite um, children's authors, and sh- her name is Julia Donaldson, and her books are all illustrated by Axel Scheffler. She's British, and you may have seen The Gruffalo or Room on the Broom. Those are probably the two um, really famous ones. Um, but I think the reason I love them, they're all rhyming, and they're so they're all in verse, and they're really so is Dr. Seuss, I guess, but they're really well done rhymes. So I was a poetry major. I was an English major with a concentration. I did not know that. Well, I almost concentrated in the writing of poetry. Like I literally oh. was almost a poet and I failed <laughs> on that. Oh, wow. But even in my English literature concentration, I mostly studied verse poetry. Okay. Um. So I'm real picky about rhymes and I'm fine. I mean, I'm fine without any rhymes, but I really, it bothers me when children's books are written in verse sloppily. Right. Just the meter's not, it's just, it's just not done by somebody who knows rhyming. Julia Donaldson is my favorite rhyming children's author. And the stories are funny. The illustrations are great. And it's just one where I would say, just pick one or order all of them. The ones I'm showing Katie are paperbacks and they're all beat up. It's, this is not a big investment. These are not coffee table books. These are like, you know, but they're some of my favorite to read aloud. And if you're intimidated by verse or if you love verse and like me are annoyed by poorly executed a rhyme verse, if you're, a rhyme, if you're a rhyme snob like me. She's so good. <laughs> I love it. She's so good. Um, And there's a there are BBC um movie versions, little short movies of The Gruffalo and Room on the Broom that are really sweet.
2: Yeah. Room on the Broom was on Netflix yeah. last year. She is a big
0: deal in the or UK. maybe Amazon Prime. I yeah. don't remember. So she's like really, re- very widely known in the UK. And then I think lesser known here. So okay. they're like, they would make the BBC children's stuff from her books because her books are really... Well done. Snail and the Whale is one of my favorites. I'm trying to think if I have a favorite.
2: Snail and the Whale might be. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to get some of those. Yeah. Okay. My last pick is another book series. This is in fact a nonfiction book series and the whole collection is called Meet the Artist. Oh, I like that. And this was my Powell books Mm -hmm. find. And I mean, among many others, but um I got it at a highly discounted price, which is exciting because they're a little pricey on Amazon. They're they range from 20 to $25, I think. But you guys, I am not a huge museum person. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll look at a painting and okay, seen yeah. it, been there, done that, let's move on. This uh, particular one is Vincent Van Gogh. All of them are by Patricia Geis, G E I S. But this invites you to really look at a piece of art and invites you to really interact with it. So it is interactive, which if you've been listening to these book segments, you guys know I'm a huge fan of interactive books, but it is very sophisticated interaction. So not only do you have a uh, lift the flap pop-up, um, what else oh, yeah. just, just, I mean, so the pop-up yeah. is the actual art of Van Gogh. So for example, really this cool. one is a pop-up of the yellow house. Um, But it's actually interaction that is very similar to if you're familiar with the Jolly Postman series. Are you familiar with the Jolly Postman? Okay. So the Jolly Postman is um, kind of has a fairy tale spin where the Jolly Postman delivers mail to all these fairy tale Oh, I don't know. I don't know that. Okay. Well, if you're familiar with Jolly Postman, this is similar. If you're not, go check out Jolly Postman. Um, There's, okay, like this one page has.
0: So she's sliding an actual, like, art card out of a little frame.
2: Out of a little frame, exactly, with a pop-up of I'm a adventure I'm going to venture and
0: say if you have a one-year-old, I do not recommend this Oh, yeah, title. no, 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 This no. is a rip. We used to call them rip the flap books. Oh, rip the
2: flap. Yeah. Pl- yes, <laughs> this would be that. Rip yeah. the flap, rip the pop-up, yeah. rip everything. Yeah. Um, this is more for probably late preschool, yeah. <clears throat> elementary school, but it it will pose questions like, Which one would you hang in Hmm. Gauguin's bedroom? Which version? Because it has multiple Mm -hmm. pop-out cards of the sunflower art. Which one do you like more?
0: I feel like my Um, 11-year-old would like this book. Like any kid who loves art. Yeah.
2: So cool. And so this series contains all different uh, artists. I think Matisse, Da Vinci. One of the prompts is decorate the blue bedroom with the furniture you'll find at the end of the book. I mean, it's just every page has really interesting information about that particular piece and then invites a certain prompt for it. I love it. It's really that's awesome. beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Yay. So that's my last pick. All right.
0: Well, it is time to wrap up. This The time goes way too fast. I know. That went long. So it was when, so fun. When we come back in a month or two-ish, it's always a little bit-ish, Um, we'll have to do some more holiday stuff. Yeah, People love that. So- Um, If you guys have feedback for us, just um, reach out hello at themomhour.com. I know we always get great feedback about these book segments, um, but we will be planning at least one or two more for this year. Um, and are open to your ideas and suggestions we did do holiday books last year so we can think of some some other fun way to tackle that
2: so yeah we're always adding more to our collection anyway right
0: yes and again the momhour.com is where you're going to find this book list it'll be a blog post you can find it linked up in the show notes for episode 227 um, but it will be its own separate list because we just have so many things to link to all right katie thanks for coming over
2: thank you sarah
1: That's 10% off at theessentialcalendar.com slash the mom hour.